Welcome to Ask Away with Vince and Joe Vitale and hosted by Michael Davis. Vince and Joe Vitale are currently leading the Zacharias Institute. Both hold doctorates from the University of Oxford, Vince in philosophy, and Joe in women in the Old Testament. In a world that increasingly sees the Christian faith is irrational and irrelevant, it is more important than ever for believers to be prepared to give a defense for the faith. Ask Away is brought to you by Robbie Zacharias International Ministries. It's time to Ask Away. Hello and welcome to another episode of Ask Away with Vincent Joe Vitale. I am your host, Michael Davis. For Christians, the Bible is God's divine word, giving us a window into understanding who he is and what he wants for and from us. The implications of the Holy Scriptures being God's inerrant and infallible word for us has massive implications that many Christians haven't really considered. If the book that we go to for a word from God is true, how should that orient our lives? How is it that those who are so focused on the Bible rarely live up to its precepts? But before we get started, Joe, can you tell us a little bit about our Wellspring ministry? Yeah, absolutely. Hi, everybody. I'm really excited to tell you about Wellspring International, which is the humanitarian arm of RZIM. And what I love about this is so often there's a disconnect between evangelism and practical ministry to the poor. And some Christians tend to veer on one side or the other. But um, I believe we're not only called to tell people that God loves them, but to show them as well. And this is what uh, Wellspring International does. It's actually uh, providing support to some of the men, women and children who live in extreme poverty and unbelievable suffering around the world. Just a couple of examples. Um, Wellspring projects help provide food, education and housing for children whose parents are dying or have died of AIDS. They provide medical care for burn victims in India, many of whom are casualties of serious domestic abuse and equipping them with the skills to support themselves and earn an income. They help rescue uh, women and children out of sexual slavery, such as in the red light district in Amsterdam. And they provide uh, food and um, a place to live for destitute elderly who have been thrown out onto the street with nowhere to live and no means to survive. And those are just a few of the projects that Wellspring runs. The aim is to have a Wellspring project, at least one in every country where RZIM has an office. And uh, the sort of tagline behind it is that the greatest apologetic is love. Yeah, Wellspring is our uh, run by our great friend Naomi uh, Zacharias. And one of the things just to add that I love about Wellspring is that uh, when you support Wellspring, 100% of the donation that you would make goes specifically to the people impacted by that project. RZIM supports the administrative costs of Wellspring, and so any donation that is made goes 100% to those who are actually being helped. Okay, let's get to our first question. Uh, This comes from Jamie Knight. uh, This question really resonates for me, so I'm actually really interested in seeing what you guys have to say. If the Bible is true, why don't we follow it to the letter? This is such a wonderful question, and um, you know we we hear in the Old Testament that there are over six hundred laws to follow. So some might reasonably ask, why today, if Christians you know treat the Bible as the Word of God, don't they, you know do they wear garments of mixed thread, or why do they eat shellfish and pork? Um, what is going on? Are Christians being inconsistent? Are they perhaps picking and choosing what right. to believe about Scripture? I think. Um, Some of the thought behind this question may come out of something that the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3 when he says um, that we've been qualified as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, often people may look at that verse and, and what they'll hear from that is they'll think, well, Paul's saying actually... 
you know, it's not really about following the word of God. We don't need to be legalistic about these things or take it too seriously. But, you know, just sort of follow the general principles, but just kind of go with the flow and just love people. um, But there aren't particular definitions or barriers to that. You know, we're in freedom and the spirit. but to, to to hear Paul that way is actually seriously problematic because what you're doing is you're setting up the word of God against the spirit of God as, as if they were in opposition when that, that doesn't even make sense because it's the spirit of God that inspired the word of God. The word of God comes um, from God. It is God breathed. We're told that, you know, the prophets of the Old Testament, they were carried along by the spirit. So these things cannot be in conflict with one another when um, they're coming right from God himself. So what then is Paul getting at in this verse? And I think what he's really saying isn't contrasting uh, the word of God with the spirit of God, but actually what he's contrasting is the old covenant with the new covenant. Um, we can see that when he says actually you're ministers of a new covenant. Now, the point here um, is to say that um, that although people once did things in the past in a certain way, a God-ordained way, a way that God set up for us to approach him that was good and right, for a certain time. Now in Christ, we have been given a new way of approaching God, a new way of living. Actually, Old Testament and New Testament literally mean Old Covenant and New Covenant. Um, And so I think what Paul is saying here isn't that the Old Testament is redundant or obsolete. He's not saying don't read it anymore, throw it out. We don't need it. Uh, We can see the way Jesus treats the Old Testament, that he takes it absolutely seriously. He says, these are the scriptures that testify about me. It is his story. Therefore, we need to take the Old Testament with absolute seriousness seriousness. But we approach these laws and the letter now in a different way because Christ has given us a new way. And this isn't even a new idea. You know, the prophets Ezekiel and Jeremiah in the Old Testament, they foresaw this very thing. They said that one day no longer will the law be written on tablets of stone, but on the heart itself. So for example, it used to be here in Old Testament times that um, that the Jews would be circumcised in their flesh, but now we're circumcised in the heart. Um, it used to be that uh, they couldn't eat animals because it was seen certain animals were seen as unclean. But now um, in this new covenant, we, you know, it's not what comes into your body that makes you impure, impure unclean, but actually impurity is coming from the heart. We no longer need to sacrifice animals because Christ, the Lamb of God, has sacrificed himself once and for all. And we no longer need to carry out ritualistic worship at the temple in order um, to reach God with no access to the Holy of Holies, no way to get intimate because that curtain has been torn in two at the cross. And therefore, the Holy Spirit has actually come to live within us. So not only you know, is the church, the people of God, they're described as the temple of God, but we ourselves as individuals, our bodies become temples of the Holy Spirit. So I think what Paul is getting at here is don't get so caught up in the old ways, in, in the way that God gave us, which was a good way, but it's no longer the way um, that we reach salvation. Don't miss out on the new life that Christ has brought because you're still caught up in ritual and trying to do it yourself. And this is a challenge Jesus actually gives um to the Pharisees who are right in front of him. And if anybody loved the word of God and the letter of the law, it was the Pharisees. They knew it backwards. They they valued it. They loved it. They treasured it. And yet Jesus says to them, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. And yet you refuse to come to me to have life. And I think that's what this is driving towards. And I think that's really important, Joe, that all of the examples you gave 
are examples that explicitly in the New Testament we are told how Jesus fulfilled or accomplished what we first read in the Old Testament in a new way in the New Covenant. So it's never the case that we open up the Old Testament and read something and we just think, oh, that doesn't seem very modern or that doesn't seem like it applies today, so we're just not going to apply it. That's only the case when actually Jesus has come and like you said, he is the final sacrifice, he is the lamb, and so we no longer need to sacrifice animals which are only temporarily useful because we have an eternal sacrifice and that was the case in each of the examples that you gave. I think the Sermon on the Mount is is really helpful here too on this question, if the Bible is true, why do we not follow it to the letter? And then when you go to the Sermon on the Mount, what it seems to imply is that we do follow the Bible to the letter. We follow it, follow it to the letter and the Spirit. So it's not that we follow it by the Spirit but not by the letter, but we follow the letter and the Spirit. And let me read a little bit of Jesus's Sermon uh, on the Mount, uh, just this fantastic sermon. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, this is the important line here, not the smallest letter, not even the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who were following by the letter but not by the Spirit, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So what Jesus seems to be saying here is that we do obey the letter of the law, but beyond that, we also obey the spirit of the law. It's not just about our outward action, but it's also about the attitude of our heart. And then when you read further in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives examples of this. So he says, you have heard that it was said by the letter of the law, you shall not murder. But I tell you now to go even beyond that and not to be angry with a brother or sister with adultery. He says, you've heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who even looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But now Jesus is asking us to go beyond that, to not resist an evil person. If someone slaps us on the right cheek, we turn them the other. If anyone wants to sue us and take our shirt, we hand over our coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Love for enemies. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor, but I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. You can think of other examples in your own life. Uh, In my life, I was thinking about the Sabbath, for instance, right? I know the letter of the law is do not work on Sunday, but Isaiah says I should delight in the Sabbath. I shouldn't just not be working on, on, on the Sabbath, but actually be resentful of the fact that I can't work on the Sabbath. I should actually be going beyond the letter of the law to the spirit of the law and delighting in that time um, with God. So it's a fantastic question. And I think putting together what Joe has said and what I have said, we're asked when it comes to following the Bible to follow not only the letter of the law, but the spirit of what the Bible has to say as well. Uh, we we also, I mean, I'm going to build a little bit about what you guys have both said. The, the Old Testament was given to the people of God uh, as a method of keeping them holy, as a method of keeping them set aside. So when you look at some of these ritualistic and dietary laws, you just think that these are silly. But even a prime example is Daniel. The fact that he was he did not partake of the of the rich foods that he he kept the law 
in regards to the dietary restrictions helped keep him set aside. Everything in the law in regards to the Old Testament was as, was a way of keeping Israel pure for one and only one reason and one purpose. And that was to be an incubator for the Lord, for Jesus Christ. Ultimately, he is the fulfillment of the law because it's his righteousness that we that we have. When Paul said that we were that, that, about the curse of the law, it wasn't saying that the law itself was bad, but that no one was able to keep it to the letter of the law. That is the reason, that is the pointing to the necessity and the requirement for a belief in Jesus and his imputed, his covering of us. We who are dead in sin are covered with Christ's righteousness. He was the only person in the history of humanity that was able to keep everything to the letter of the law. And faith in Christ gives us that righteousness. When God looks upon us, if we have committed ourselves, if we say that Jesus Christ is Lord, that when God looks upon us, he doesn't see our sin, he does not see our wretchedness, he sees Christ's. So when we go up in the judgment seat and when we are asked to give an account, did we keep to the letter of the law? We say, no, but Jesus did. Jesus paid the penalty that we deserved. He lived the life that we could not live, died the death that we deserved so that we can point to Jesus on that final judgment and say, he did it. He followed everything to the letter of the law. And then we get his righteousness. Yeah, that's really good. And and it, and it speaks to the importance of us uh, being called to the letter of God's word as well, because if we give that up and just say, oh, well, I only need to follow it in spirit, it's too easy for us to then say, well, actually, we're not sinners, because you can't point to something specifically in the Bible that's asking me to live a certain life that I've fallen short of, because I'm not supposed to follow the letter of the Bible anyway. We are asked to follow the letter of the Bible. We're not capable of doing that by ourselves. Jesus alone is capable of doing that for us. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to make one other distinction here, which I think is important too. I think we are called to follow the letter of God's word, but that doesn't always mean that we interpret God's word in the strictest literal fashion. So sometimes those two things get conflated, the letter of God's word or interpreting God's word in a literal way. And the person who's asking this question may be thinking of both of those things. Um, Joe and I were thinking earlier about some examples in the scripture that we don't interpret literally. When the Bible says Israel will be nothing but a hut in a cucumber patch, we don't take that literally. Um, when <laughs> Jesus, revelation. When Jesus says he is the door, we don't you know, think we can turn the knob and, and open right. him like a door. Or when it, the Psalms say that the earth shall not be moved, we don't think it's making a scientific mistake. It's not talking about whether or not the earth is spinning or moving. It's talking about the permanency of God's identity and God's nature. Uh, or when we think about, we spoke in our episode on um, is the Bible sexist, and we talked about head coverings um, for women, and we said, well, that would have been a sign of marriage. Um, so we take that literally in terms of what it's saying, but the application for us, we have to ask the question, why is it saying that? Well, because it was a sign of marriage, and you shouldn't be going out into public and taking off, in essence, your wedding ring so that people wouldn't think that you were married. So we still take that um, as truth 
in the strongest sense, and yet it may apply in a non-literal way uh, in our context today as well. So just an important distinction there. We are called to the letter of God's Word. We're called beyond that even to the spirit of God's Word, which requires a transformation of the heart. That doesn't always mean that if we look at something like the earth shall not be moved, we have to think the Bible's made a mistake. No, it hasn't, because it doesn't always need to be interpreted literally. We let the Bible tell us how it should be interpreted. John Lennox says it in a helpful way, I think. He says we read it literally but not literalistically. And I think that's an important distinction. We need to understand what is the genre that I'm reading and therefore how is it supposed to be read? And that's not abusing or damaging the Bible. That's being faithful to Scripture because you're actually saying what was the intention rather than me reading my own intention into it or misreading it because I'm coming from a different culture and I just don't understand um, the text that that is in front of me. I I really liked what you said, Michael, about... um, understanding the purpose of those laws for Israel to be set apart because I think so often we read it and we think wow this is about God being determined to ruin everyone's fun that the idea of law is is about God being a cosmic killjoy but actually and um, the whole purpose of that was to get rid of this idea of a secular sacred divide and to say that in every aspect of your life remember God yeah. remember that he's the one you're called to serve and for us you know um you know, more often as Christians, we talk about, you know, following after Christ and, you know, what it does it mean to die to yourself, to take up your cross and follow? It means that the whole of your life is given unto Christ. And um, I don't think uh, that uh, the, the, the Bible that we're given to live by um, is setting out to ruin our lives. I think it's here so that we might have life. Yeah. Um, coming back to that uh, verse we read about, um, these are the scriptures that testify about me, but you don't come to me to have life. How tragic it would be to get so caught up in in legalism and in following all the laws that we forget the fact that actually Christ came and did it for us, that actually he has come uh, so that we might uh, truly experience life. And so we can be free to live by the um live by the word of God, knowing that when we fall short of it, that Christ's grace covers us. It's not like um, Christ's grace covers us before we're saved, but once we're saved, then we mess up and you're on your own. And suddenly it's up to you to try and win your way back to God every time or earn it somehow. No, as Christians, we always live under grace and how wonderfully freeing that is, um, that that we can have the word of God um, and the spirit that enables us to live the life that we were made for and that helps us as we get on with doing that. Actually, adding to what you were talking about, what this is and what Christ uh, has done and has been able to fulfill um, in the law uh, is not an excuse to break the law. Mm. Um, Paul was not anti-law. He was not—there's a term for it, antinomian, but he was not anti-law. He loved the law because what it does is it reflects who God is and what is holiness— when, when God says, uh, be holy for I, you're the Lord, your God, am holy, we as believers, our salvation is assured. That is, that is one of the things we are justified. That is a single thing that happens. But one of the beautiful things about the Christian life is how that as we progress is a process of becoming more holy. It's, it's called sanctification. It's this, we are becoming more like Christ. And the true mark, the fruit of a Christian of a, of a true, genuine Christian is as they progress in their life, now they will fall short. And that is the beautiful thing about having Christ's righteousness is but as they grow and mature in their faith, holiness just happens. It's, it is a lifelong process. It, 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 and sometimes it feels like it's two steps forward and one step back. But ultimately, our hope, our holiness is not of ourselves. It is of God. 
even our made, being made holy is there is a process, and that process is aided by the Holy Spirit. So we, do not, we are not against the law. We love the law. The law has been fulfilled, and we are made holy by God. There's a reason why we have the Holy Spirit. It is not just to help us discern God's Word. It is also to help purify us and also to help, to help perfect us so that we are prepared for eternal glory with God. So that actually leads me into the second question, and that is from Danielle. Um, how should I read the scriptures, and what kind of weight should I give them? Well, good question, Danielle, and well done sneaking two questions into one question. Um, <laughs> always appreciate that. Uh, how should I read the scriptures, and what kind of weight uh, should I give to them? So much we could say um, about each element of this question, uh, but one, one reflection— I had in mind about how we should read the scriptures. It just occurred to me that, you know, throughout history, there was a lot more of reading scripture out loud, uh, and there was a lot more of reading scripture in community. Uh, You know, for most of Christian history, people didn't just have their own personal Bibles that they could take home and and read privately. And I thank God that I'm living in a time when I do. That's an absolute blessing. Uh, But sometimes we de-emphasize this idea of reading Scripture out loud, bringing our whole person into it, even that uh, physicality, which is not unspiritual, but it's part of how God made us, and doing it in community as well. Uh, And one practice that we've come to enjoy as a team uh, even in our department, um, Joe and myself and a few others in our Zacharias Institute uh, department, we'll, we'll pick a, a book of the Bible and we'll just go around in a circle and we'll read it out loud to each other. We'll take a few verses each and we'll just go person by person and we'll read in one sitting this whole book uh, of the Bible. Uh, and then we'll just you know spend an hour or so just in conversation with the word that we've read, in conversation with each other, in prayer, Um, sharing with each other what stuck out uh, to us as we read through for that time, conversing about it, raising questions, praying into those questions. So there are many different ways to read uh, the Bible, uh, and it's it's a relational thing to do, so it can be different for different people. But that's one thing that we recently have found to be very powerful, very engaging, very relational as we come to uh, this uh, book that God has provided for us um, in his love, to read it out loud and read it out loud together in the context of community. Mm. I think— and I know I've said this before, but I just think it's so important. Um, we we also need to make sure that when it comes to reading the Bible, that we're actually reading the Bible, that that is how we're spending time with God. Someone, uh, I was speaking to someone the other day about um, what, what it might look like to draw closer to God. And, um, and they said to me, yeah, I wanted to ask you, what devotionals do you use? And, you know, it's an interesting question. Devotionals can be incredibly helpful. Bible study guides can be helpful. Reading commentaries can be helpful. All of these things are helpful. But sometimes I think we live in a culture where our, our time is so squeezed and we're, and we're so often in a rush that we want things in an easily digestible form. We want uh, format. We want somebody to break it down for us so we don't have to kind of wrestle with it ourselves. But it doesn't really work that way. In marriage, if I want to communicate with Vince, I don't go through somebody and say, hey, could you just help translate <laughs> what he just said? I didn't quite pick up on the Italian-American. You know, I go to Vince and, you know, we have conversation directly. And, and that's the beautiful gift of Scripture for us. St. Augustine said the Bible is our letters from home. You know, they're the letters 
from from our father, a God who loves us. And so shouldn't we treasure them and pour over them and dig in deep into them ourselves and not just allow other people to tell us how to read them because we want to hear from God ourselves. And we've been given this amazing uh, gift of being able to do so. So don't allow other people to always be intermediaries between you and, and the word of God in your life. And there's this quote that I just really love from someone called Brennan Manning, who says, the word we study has to be the word we pray. Sheer scholarship alone cannot reveal to us the gospel of grace. We must never allow the authority of books, institutions or leaders to replace the authority of knowing Jesus Christ personally and directly. When the religious views of others interpose between us and the primary experience of Jesus as the Christ, we become unconvicted and unpersuasive travel agents handing out brochures to places that we have never visited. Wow. And I just think that's so true. I would hate to be someone who spends their life doing evangelism, but is always inviting people into a relationship with God that I myself have never experienced, um, you know, selling something that I have no personal knowledge of. So let's not just learn about God or know about God. Let's get to know God. And the best way we can do that is through the scripture. So for that reason, we give it tremendous weight because these are our letters from home. And so we treasure them because they are a love letter to us. They are God's revelation relation to us. It's God's way of saying, hey, this is who I am. Let me tell you about me. I want you to know me just as I know you. And um, and what an invitation that is and what a privilege. So just enjoy it. Get into the word and um, learn to love the word, become lovers of the word so that you can be doers of the word. Yeah. And actually, if you want, we actually are, we actually unpack this substantially in, in a substantial way in uh, the episode Bible Fact or Fiction. I believe it's episode three. Uh, so if you guys want to hear in regards to actual application, how we actually uh, like to study the Bible, that is a good episode uh, to go back to. Yeah, and I love what you're saying, Joe, about that conversational, relational nature of reading the Bible together in prayer. And maybe just a good question for everyone to ask themselves is, as you're hearing from God through his word, how are you speaking back to him? For some people, that's journaling. Uh, like I said, that could be in the context of community, reading out loud and discussing. Um, I like to pray out loud as I'm reading the Bible. So if I'm, I'm reading the Bible and a confusion arises or a question arises or a frustration arises or I begin to rejoice or I'm filled with gratitude because of something that God has said to me in this love letter, uh, well, it would be odd. It's great to be a good listener, um, but it gets odd in conversation after a while if you just keep listening, listening, listening and never respond. So if you can find ways in your normal daily practice of reading the scriptures to also be responding, hearing from God, speaking honestly to God, God in that conversational, relational context that will go a long, long way uh, towards deepening your faith. So let's go into the second part of this question, Vince. How much weight should Danielle give the scriptures? It's uh, an an honest question and one that needs to be asked um, today, especially because we have all different views in our society on this question. I would caution a little bit about the phraseology and and maybe just shift it a bit. Uh, maybe not what kind of weight should we give to the scriptures, but maybe the primary question first to ask is what kind of weight does God give to them? Uh, sometimes the problem in our culture is that we think that we need to be the one to determine what weight or authority we give to the scriptures. Uh, and I think of 2 Timothy 3.16, that all scripture is God-breathed and useful. If all scripture is from God, spoken by him, 
uh, and useful, then that needs to be my starting point in terms of the weight that I give to various scriptures uh, and the weight that I need to give, therefore, to every scripture so far outclasses any weight that I would give to my own thoughts, my own discernment, or the voices um, of others. Once we start determining the weight to give to various scriptures, once we are the ones who are the, term, the determiners, then uh, I worry that we wind up treating our judgments as divine and God's words as merely human and fallible. So I think we need to be really uh, careful of that. God found this uh, most beautiful way to communicate with us. He could have just um, spoken directly to us in an audible voice all the time, which would have been so overpowering and dominating. It would have been uh, very difficult for us to actually respond to it with a free act of trust. Um, We didn't have any right for him to speak to us at all, and he could have chosen not to speak to us. Instead, he finds this loving, clear way to speak to us that we can engage with, and yet it gives us that space to respond in a relational way to say, I want to hear from your word. I want to delight in your word. I want you to be the one who actually gives gives it the weight that it deserves. I'd like to frame this question this way. If God created the world— created the universe, uh, sustains every atom in the entirety of the universe, who knows us personally, who created a way for us to be reconciled with him, who is literally all-powerful, all-knowing, all-everything, and deserving of all glory and honor and power, how much weight should we give his direct letter to us? I think if we, we really have a very low view of God, if we, if we truly believe that the Bible is from him, and if we say, meh, I don't like this part. So if we truly believed in who God is, and if we say that God is who God says he is in this Bible, that should be everything. I mean, this is the one thing that we can rely on. And God, who is all-powerful, protected it for us. It is a beautiful, like you, like you said, it is a love letter. Um, that should pretty much tell you how much weight you should give this book. Yeah, and, and I'm a, a philosopher by training. Um, I'm eager to understand the Word of God. I took great comfort when I began to read the Bible as a non-Christian, and I got to Acts uh, 17, and I read that the Bereans were more noble than those from Thessalonica because they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Uh, so what what an amazing uh, gift that the God of the universe uh, gives us this freedom and this space to examine his words and to try to determine whether they're true from a non-Christian perspective, something that we couldn't even possibly do if it wasn't actually his spirit and his sovereignty that was leading us to him uh, in the first place. But I think I need to ask the question, in the context of being a Christian, is my obedience to God contingent on my understanding? If I'm not willing to be obedient to God's word in the scriptures, unless I understand the reasoning and therefore agree with what's being asked of me anyway, then am I really following God or am I only actually following myself? If I'm not willing to be obedient unless I understand what God is saying and agree, then I'm actually following myself. I'm not following God. So as much as I'm a philosopher, 
I praise God for giving me that freedom to seek out his scriptures and to try to determine whether or not they're true, and I continue to do that as a process of faith-seeking understanding. At the end of the day, I need to let God be God, and there are going to, at every point in my life, be some things that he asks of me where I just need to say, God, I don't understand. That's not the way that I would have done it, but you are God, and I'm not, and I'm willing to trust you because of what you've done for me and for every person. You have shown a love for me, which means that I can trust you even when I don't understand. I think some of us, we we struggle so much with loneliness. And you know, one of the questions we hear all the time in Q&A is, you know, where is God? I've, I've been praying to him and he hasn't been speaking to me. And, and I understand that, you know, we all go through seasons where it, it can feel like God is more distant. But, but one thing that's so beautiful about God's gift to us of the Bible is that there's a God who is always speaking to us through his word. And actually God, God has something to say to you every day, every day. Um, God isn't ignoring you, but there's a place you can go where God is speaking. And, and what incredible comfort that is for us in a world where so often we struggle with loneliness or it may feel like we're overlooked or undervalued or that um, no one else is listening to us, no one else is engaging with us, that actually the God of the universe wants to talk to you. You know, he's waiting for you to wake up in the morning. He delights in the fact that he gets to spend the day with you, that his word is new every morning. Uh, this is a God who who delights in your company, who takes pleasure in spending that time with you. So um, don't miss out on, on an amazing gift of a God who is communicating, who wants to know you um, so that you won't be alone and, um, and how precious that is. So I just encourage you, don't see that as, you know, as a weighty task that is, is there to burden you. It's not there to burden you. It's because God wants you to live in freedom and in joy and in the fullness of the life that he has come to give you. And we experience that life uh, when we listen to the life-giving words of the God who died to give us that life. So just enjoy it. Absolutely. Well, we are out of time. Vince, sum it up for us. Well, Joe said it, I think. Uh, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And if you're in that place where you're thinking, I'm not experiencing life as Jesus intended it, um, life as Jesus promised it, that fullness of life in his spirit, could it be the case that for some of us, that's because we are not living by every word that comes from the mouth of God? of God. When we try to live by some of the words that come from the mouth of God, uh, then we don't find the life that God intended for us. So I hope that you'll dig into the Bible. I hope you'll do so conversationally, relationally, but ultimately I hope that you will trust every word that comes from the mouth of God. Guys, thank you so much. Thank you for listening in and we will catch you next week. To find out more about our ministry or to donate, visit our website at rzim.org. If you're listening in Canada, that website is rzim.ca.